Good morning. Let's get straight to markets. Take a look at the impact for the indices. Factual. Succinct. All you need to know before your trading day starts. Subscribe to our newsletter, CNBC's Daily Open. Beyond the Valley. Hello and welcome to another episode of CNBC's Beyond the Valley. I'm Arjun Karpal in Guangzhou, China. Thanks for tuning in today for an episode where I'm going to be talking to two experts on a policy known as China Standards 2035. Maybe not the catchiest name, but certainly don't let that fool you on the ambition behind this project from Beijing. China Standards 2035 is a 15-year blueprint that will lay out the country's plans to set the global standards for the next generation of technologies. The move could have wide-ranging implications for the power Beijing wields on the global stage in areas from artificial intelligence to telecommunication networks and the flow of data. Now, you may remember a plan called Made in China 2025, which was a global manufacturing plan. This China Standards 2035 is seen as a successor to that but with a much bigger focus on technology. It has been in the works since 2018, and a final text is expected to be published in 2020. But to understand why it's so important, we need to first understand what standards are. Granted, they are not perhaps the most talked about thing when discussing some of these next generation technologies, but some of the critical technologies we rely on today, like mobile networks, have been built on standards that take years to create. Without them, using such technology globally could become difficult. But right now, we are entering an age of new emerging technologies. You may have heard of some of these buzzwords like AI or blockchain. We don't know if standards will be required for them or what they will look like, but that's precisely the point. It's up for grabs right now. While the US and Europe dominated the development of some key technology we use today, China now wants a seat at the table and wants to stamp its authority on the global tech sphere. Now, I want to bring you a conversation with two very interesting individuals, Emily de la Bruyere and Nathan Picasic. They are co-founders of Horizon Advisory and have been closely tracking the development of China Standards 2035. Horizon Advisory is an independent consultancy that helps businesses, investors and public sector actors assess the landscape of geopolitical, economic and technological competition. Nathan and Emily have been spending a lot of time thinking about China's ambitions in global standards settings. We spoke about what China Standards 2035 is, why standards matter, and what it means for the battle between the United States and China over technology. Since um, the early 2000s, Beijing has had a national level standardization strategy. Um, and this is an ambition to set the rules for the future world, especially the technological rules as we enter into a new technological era. China Standards 2035 is the industrial plan that operationalizes this strategy. Beijing started planning for it in 2018. They just concluded that two-year planning, and now they're about to cement it into an industrial plan that's going to be instituted over the next 15 years. And in many ways, it picks up where Made in China 2025 ends. China has secured strategic footholds in a number of critical and emerging global industry chains. Now, with China Standards 2035, Beijing positions to translate those footholds into influence over their standards. 
So what do we know so far about this plan? While there is no final text, Beijing has released a document titled The Main Points of National Standardization Work in 2020. That may give us an insight into what Beijing's goals and ambitions are here, particularly on the international stage. Some of the points in the plan from March 2020 include a push to improve standards domestically across various industries from agriculture to manufacturing. But one section of the document highlights the need to establish, and I quote, a new generation of information technology and biotechnology standard system. Within that section, there is a focus on developing standards for the so-called Internet of Things, cloud computing, big data, 5G and artificial intelligence, all the technology buzzwords of the day. These are all seen as uh, crucial future technologies that could underpin critical infrastructure in the world. The document also underlines the need to participate in the formulation of international standards and that China should put forward more proposals for international standards. This last point is very crucial because the aim from China is internationalization of not just its standards, but its technology. Chinese technology companies have traditionally focused on their domestic market, but over the past few years, the country's giants have been expanding around the world. In a May 2020 interview, an individual named Xu Yinbiao talked about the need for China to push standards internationally. He's a member of a consultative committee around this policy. He said in an interview with state media that the purpose of the Chinese standards push is to make the country's standards, technologies and products, quote, go global. So there is a very big ambition here from Beijing. CBC reached out to China's state council for comment, but had not heard back at the time of publication of this podcast. So what are standards and why do they matter? That's the question I pose to Emily and Nathan. In the most general sense, it means the, the rules by which a given industry chain, value chain system operate. Um, so in technical standards, these may be the um, protocols that define how different devices connect and talk to each other. In legacy systems, you may think of the gauge of a railway as a, as a standard. Um, and what we think is critical here is that as there's a suite of new and emerging technologies. For example, the, the Chinese will speak of the Internet of Things as Internet 2.0 and a new Internet. Um, as these emerging industrial um, value chains are, are rising in prominence um, and rising in their global reach, China is setting out a plan to define the rules that the rest of the globe will follow, and that will provide them enhanced information, um, as well as a prime footing for seizing the um, economic and strategic returns from these new emerging types of technologies and systems. And it's particularly obvious as like a competitive advantage in the industrial chain and one that's enduring. So like if you think about voltage as a standard, if I wire an industry zone on American voltage standards, I'm not going to be able to then like export French equipment to fill that industry zone. So my having like established a U.S. standard for that voltage is going to give me an advantage in the corresponding industries. Um, and that logic you know, extends across the board. So then you have an example in like mobile banking. If I have the standard for mobile banking that's adopted broadly, then the banks trying to operate that way are going to have to comply with my protocols. And the other thing about these standards is that once you have them, you can't just like rip them out and start afresh. They're enduring. Like you can't 
totally rewire the industrial zone. You can't just you know, overnight flip the switch on mobile banking protocols. And once one critical mass has adopted the standard, they, they tend to scale. It's a very winner-take-all network effects dominated area. So scale generally translates to global uniformity. Interesting. And is that is China able now to sort of have a run at these standards? Because you know, we're, we're moving into, as you guys mentioned, a, a new era, some emerging technologies, and actually those standards aren't set yet, because I guess what we've seen, you know, in the past, typically standard setting has been dominated a lot by US and European technology companies and, and industry bodies and, and academics. Um, but, you know, moving forward, perhaps China has a bigger role to play. Precisely. And that's precisely China's calculus. They have a term for this, which is um, overtaking around the corner. And it's based on the idea of if two cars are going and one passes the other on a curve. And the idea is that in periods of flux or dislocation or change, the challenger has an opportunity to leapfrog the incumbent. And so precisely the fact that we're entering a new era technologically is what gives China the chance to set the new rules. And the other beat of that is that these rules are different than what came before. Like the nature of today's technological era is one dominated by information. And we're gathering, and these standards are in systems that gather data. And so if you can set the standards for them, you don't just get the conventional advantage that you know the US dollar has received. You get an advantage that also situates you to control global information. You know, it's the difference between the dollar as a reserve currency and having fintech dominance. Yeah, I would just add that um, while all of the, the environmental factors, the, the types of competitions and emerging technologies may be a change and may be new, there is a consistency in the approach of China's industrial planning process and how they animate toward these goals. So the centralization that we've seen bear fruit in Made in China 2025 has also been applied to the brass tacks of going to industry setting bodies and having a very centralized, um, directed approach that the Chinese Communist Party provides to both its governmental state owned players as well as its private players. And that's what I wanted to, to sort of pick up on. How, how do you see sort of China practically rolling out this strategy um, and sort of what's happened so far, what have they been doing? And then on top of that, you know, how do some of these broader projects like the Belt and Road Initiative, for example, play into it? At a first level, a lot of global standards are set by multilateral associations, whether those are bodies like the United Nations or industry groups. And China in Beijing works very hard to set strategies for and organize its players in these multilateral bodies. So when they go to them, they have a clear, dedicated plan to make sure that they get Chinese standards accepted at these bodies. At the same time, China also supports its commercial players, whether those are state-owned and private, in going out and operating in such a way that they can claim standards, even when those mean short-term costs or sacrificing you know, what seem like immediate incentives. And these can, this works through subsidies, it works through preferential lending for infrastructure construction, because infrastructure is a big thing in standard setting. Um, it also works just in guiding them when they go to these industry associations. So when you say infrastructure, um, that's sort of like, you know, if they're signing a deal with a country, for example, along the Belt and Road, uh, they may sort of bake standards into that deal almost. Exactly. Or, you know, just telecommunications infrastructure, if you're the one who's 
set out the telecommunications like physical infrastructure, you're going to be have an upper hand in deciding which 5G patents are the ones that are adopted as the international standard. And the Belt and Road, and Belt and Road is precisely a mechanism designed to operationalize this approach. One of the big focus areas that's very clear in Chinese discourse, but hasn't necessarily been picked up on in or you know, interpreted in the standards context in Western analyses is the idea of facility interconnectivity and you know, international interconnectivity. And that's the idea of putting all of these countries and their systems, whether in transportation or in communication or in energy on Chinese standards, so that they're interoperable and interoperable on Chinese terms. And so what would be the implications here, really? What are some of the big implications of China's move if it succeeds? The short answer is we have a world operating according to Chinese rules. And those rules hold in both the virtual and the real domains. And what that means is that China has this inherent industrial competitive advantage. It also has an inherent information advantage which both mean that Beijing is able to collect better information on the world with security and with commercial implications, but also that it's able to shape that information. If you have the fintech standard or you know, the defining social media application, like say TikTok, um, you're then, which are both standards, you're then able to control how people see their commercial exchanges or their engagement with the world. And with that, you're able to shape their incentives. The other very obvious example for this is credit ratings. Um, China's social credit system can be interpreted as a standard. If it's able to export that internationally, it can decide which companies or players or people are seen as trustworthy in the international stage and also what makes a company or player or person trustworthy. And these advantages are built on and amplify the enduring asymmetric positioning of the Chinese system writ large. So, for example, um, Western observers would often benchmark Chinese innovativeness um, against the United States or against other developed economies and think that perhaps China hasn't advanced and is going to continue to plug away to sort of compete in the same symmetrical fashion. Um, capturing standards allows China to solve for any innovation deficit it might have in a very asymmetric way, in a way that is locked in and is enduring. So if, for example, a Chinese drone company becomes the de facto hardware standard in that field, Chinese algorithmic development may not have to be as innovative at the level of basic fundamental research because all of the best route planning algorithms from Silicon Valley are going to have to literally run through Chinese hardware and the Chinese standard will have access to the returns that that type of innovation would typically um, produce for whoever it is that's coming up with the route algorithm, but it may be um, conferred to the winner of the hardware race instead. Beyond the Valley listeners, stick with us. We'll bring you the rest of that conversation right after this short message. 
Subscribe to the Squawkbox Europe Express podcast. Join Steve, Karen and myself, Arabile, in unscripted and dynamic debate around the day's top stories with first and exclusive interviews of the best in business and global newsmakers, original points of view and instant analysis of the latest business news and key market themes. Get set for the day ahead. Squawkbox Europe Express podcast now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts. And one of the big things, you know, to that point, we have seen uh, in this broader sort of U.S.-China trade battle the, the, and, the, and the fight over technology as well is this concern and national security concerns over data. You know, one of the, the accusations leveled towards Huawei from the United States government is that, you know, Huawei, if it's in a network, uh, that network is compromised um, because of the, the security laws in China that appear to compel some of these technology companies to comply with data requests and, and, and sort of uh, other rules in that vein. Um, so if we're talking about standards here, if we're talking about, you know, China dominating some of these standards of technology around the world, what are some of the implications when it comes to data and national security? Yeah, so most of these standards, or a, many of them, are in information technology that collects data. And so all of these on their own create the sort of first-order risks that we've talked about with Huawei. The idea that as China creates and dominates these networks, it's able to collate, aggregate, centralize, obtain their information. The next beat of that is that we're entering a world where everything is interconnected. That's the Internet of Things or the Internet of Everything era. And it's interconnected according to certain foundational technological standards. So if China has those, it has the backbone for the network into which everything connects, whether that's telecommunications and Huawei or that's self-driving cars or that's your mobile payments or that's navigation. And so it gets not just the information from each of those individually, but it has the potential to aggregate the whole and also to determine the information on which that whole then operates. So that's, that means a world where the self-driving car is not just reporting back to a centralized system that's also aggregating data on the phone call going on in that self-driving car, but the route that the self-driving car has taken is one that's informed by China's algorithms about where it, how it wants these vehicles to move. And by virtue of China's military civil fusion program, this industrial plan, China Standards 2035, is positioned to lock in security gains um, beyond anything that we've likely seen before. If, if we're living in a software eats the world future, um, China's planning for that and acting on it in a way that none of its competitors is anywhere near uh, on par. So there are clearly some very big implications for the global technology stage if China were to succeed. And we have seen China pushing to be more influential in standards globally. But is this all chest-puffing propaganda, as one industry body suggests? Should we believe the hype? Naomi Wilson, Senior Director of Policy for Asia at the Information Technology Industry Council, thinks we shouldn't. The ITI is a global tech trade association headquartered in Washington, D.C., it counts major tech firms amongst its members and says its goal is to promote the global competitiveness of its member companies through tech-friendly public policy. 
Naomi Wilson recently wrote a blog post in which she said, don't believe China's own hype. I asked her why. China Standards 2035 follows a long tradition of Chinese strategic plans and five-year plans uh, that we've come to expect from the Chinese government. And it's important to understand who the target audience is of these plans for the most part. You know, remember, they're public, but the intended audience is the Chinese populace, you know, Chinese, in this case, Chinese companies, um, and Chinese technical experts. So it, it's really meant to be a little bit more uh, effusive um, and kind of have the tone of almost like a game day pep talk. And so what do you think then the ultimate goal is of, of China Standards 2035 and China's plans? What are they trying to achieve here with that? Well, they're trying to achieve a number of different objectives. So, uh, you know, first and foremost, China has had some internal messiness with respect to its standard system for some time, and they're making a legitimate effort to try to clean it up and to reconcile some of their national standards with industry standards uh, and just streamline the system uh, to a better extent. And this aligns with their desire to be more active, more influential in the international arena. Um, so there's that. And, um, you know, they also want to set objectives and goals for key industries, especially for the tech sector. Uh, so it's in part meant to encourage participation um, both domestically and internationally within key sectors because China understands the importance of international standards development uh, in terms of innovation uh, and global competitiveness. And you know, China wants its own market to be strong, of course, but they also want their companies to have that global reach uh, and to be able to compete with the best tech companies in the world. So in your view, what's most likely to happen then as China ups its focus on standards going forward, particularly on the international stage? Uh, and what role will China play? So, I mean, China will likely play an increasingly important role as their companies develop. Um, you know, the standards process and standards development doesn't operate in a vacuum. Um, and it's not the be-all, end-all of um, technological competitiveness either. It, it's one uh, stage in the process. It's an important stage, but it's not an opportunity to sort of carte blanche rewrite the rules for technology's future. Um, you know, a lot of this starts with investment in research and development and uh, a company's ability to dedicate appropriate resources um, to that long-term game um, and really be among the first to get to the, the next um, emerging technology down the line or to create a technology or a product that is the most appealing to consumers. Um, and once, once you're there, then the standards process kind of works in tandem um, where technical experts are developing the specifications alongside the technology uh, to ensure that they're compatible across markets. 
So China uh, will absolutely be a part of that. And it's important to know that we want them to be a part of that. The international tech community wants Chinese companies at the table. And in large part, this is because what we don't want them doing, which is one of the problematic pieces of uh, China Standards 2035 and, and China's general standards development system, um, is we don't want them staying home creating China unique standards uh, because that really um, flies in the face of the desire to get compatibility across markets. Especially when you have a market as big as China, you certainly don't want that consumer base to have to use a product that has different standards than the rest of the world. Um, it, it's not cost effective um, and it's certainly not the best for the consumer overall. One thing we'll be watching out for now is the full text of China Standards 2035 that could be published at some time in 2020. At the moment, that's not out, but when it is released, you can expect a lot of scrutiny of it to see if it will indeed live up to its own height. One thing that fascinates me is for the first time, China actually has the capabilities to challenge the status quo of US and European technology dominance. So we really are entering an unprecedented time. Technology power is clearly up for grabs. The battle between the world's two biggest economies is likely going to define the next decade of technology. I would love to hear your thoughts on this. What are your views on what is happening in the world of technology right now? You can get in touch with me on Twitter at Arjun Karpal. That's it for another episode of CNBC's Beyond the Valley. Thanks for listening and I'll catch you next time. Beyond the Valley.